Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we are going to be. Well, I woke up this morning and it was 31 degrees outside. But being from Augusta, it doesn't matter that it's 31 degrees outside. It is springtime and the Masters is happening. So I was committed. I I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but every year, the Sunday before the Masters, I wear a Masters shirt. And then the Sunday of the Masters, I wear a Masters shirt. And it reminded me this year that I need to get a long sleeve Masters shirt in case it's like this again. I pulled up this morning and Rodney was out there getting everything ready for us uh, this morning. He goes, I look at you and I thought, there's no way Bo's wearing a short sleeve shirt this morning morning. It's below freezing outside, but I did. So I do want to throw this out there to you, all right? Just, just, just by the way, if all of a sudden, by chance, you get a ticket to the Masters today, and you don't need it, and you don't want it, I will take that burden away from you, all right? Bible tells us to share each other's burdens. I will take that on. I'll have that for you. I'll go there and get me a pimento cheese sandwich and be just fine. But uh, we, we'll be good. I'll, I'll watch the, the rest of it at the house today. Um, so excited as we're wrapping up this series. And, and I say wrap up this series. We're going to be in 16 this week. Next week uh, for Easter, we're going to jump back into 15, all right? We're going to jump back. And we left out some parts last week about the resurrection that we're going to talk about. Uh, and we're really excited with next Sunday to be in Easter. Uh, to go through that together as a church to celebrate the fact that the Savior, Jesus Christ, he is alive. Now, next week, we we do have a little bit different schedule. 8 a.m., we'll have an outdoor worship. 9 a.m., breakfast. We met with the team this week that's going to be doing and and, and thinking about this breakfast, and we're excited about what that's going to be like for us just to come together as a body, as a church family, celebrate and, and worship together, but also just celebrate and fellowship together that that Jesus is alive. And then we'll have the 10 o'clock worship in here and would love for you in that flow of your day of whatever that's gonna look like for you to to, to be a part of one of those services with us, to invite someone, bring someone with you. Maybe that's looking for a place to worship on that Sunday morning and to be able to be a part of that. Hey, just a quick reminder, we, we will not have our normal Sunday evening programming tonight or next Sunday because of spring break, so I just want to remind you of that. So as we get into chapter 16, and, and I don't know, I think most of you, especially if you're in groups, like you know this, and you, you're walking through this with us in your studies, uh, but, but right now media kind of said, hey, here's how we're going to study it each week together in, in groups, and so what, what I had the, the responsibility of doing is each week is looking at a, a, a section of scripture kind of predetermined for me, and then going through, leaning in on the, the Holy Spirit to, to teach me instruct my heart what where we are to go. And I want to be honest with you, as we were t- turning toward this chapter, I- I've read this chapter before, and it's like, all right, all right Lord, like, like it's the tendency sometimes in us as we get to the end of these letters to kind of see conclusion 
And, and a lot of time what Paul does in, the, in these last chapters and his conclusions is like, hey, let me give you some very specific details that are specifically speaking to some people that, that are, is hard for us to kind of draw from in this. And so this, this week, as I kind of know that in my mind and, and, and diving down through there, and what was absolutely wonderfully amazing is what God just, just showed. And so as God taught me this week, it is my, my prayer and my heart um, for, for, for what God's going to teach you this morning as we walk through this together, because chapter 16 has some really good stuff. And so we're going to read some verses and skip to some others and, and kind of work our way through here. So let's start off in, in verse 1, read verses 1 through 3. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So let's pause here for, for, for just a second. Now, three times in, in this letter in, in 1 Corinthians, we, we see this two-word phrase, now concerning. And, and when we see that, what, what Paul is going to do is answer a question that has been given to them by the church at Corinth. And so if this is your first Sunday here, let me take you all the way back to January, all right? So Paul gets report from a church at Corinth that, that he's been a, a part of in, in leadership and, and, and planning. Um, and that there's some issues and some problems that are there. Some people come to him and say, this is what's taking place, but then he's also been getting letters from them. And, and while this is written as 1 Corinthians in our scripture, we believe that this is actually the second letter that Paul has written and that Paul in, in total writes three. And so this is one of those where we hear this from Paul now concerning, so he's going to answer a question that they've posed to him. So they know that there's this collection, they know that there's this offering, but they're looking at him and, and what are they supposed to do with it? Well, just to kind of give you a little bit of background, this offering is for the church at Jerusalem who has got a problem that they need help taking care of. And the problem, and I, and I use that word problem, not that they're upset that they have to, 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 to work through this, but it's become a crisis for them and that there's such a, a need for, for money at the church of Jerusalem because there's a high uh, percentage of the people who were there who were in poverty. And so the church is trying to rise above and push through and, and be a light to care for, for those who find themselves in this situation. And so what Paul has done is he's reached out to other churches and said, no, 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 let's make sure that we walk alongside them with this. That this is not a church at Jerusalem problem, but this is a church problem that we're all going to step in and take care of. And so we see from here that he's addressed it to the church at Galatia, which you'll see is the, the Galatians uh, uh, letter that he writes, and also to the church at Corinth and, and possibly even other churches. So, so why are we focusing on this this morning? Why is this for us today more than just an instruction from Paul of what they're to do with part or, or some or of, of their offering? And I believe that these instructions are important to us today. So very important for us as a church today. 
and also important for us as the church today. It's an important message for for every church, every congregation all over the world because what it reminds us of and what it points us to is is what I want to refer to as gospel-centered partnerships. That we as the church are called not to live our lives isolated. And we've been talking a lot about that, right? Like we can't isolate ourselves from the world. We're to be missionaries and lights into the world. But then also for us as a body, that we're not to just say, well, it's Willow Ridge and it's Willow Ridge alone. We can't live in an isolated mindset of just thinking about we have to take care of what happens in these walls and who cares what happens to anyone else. And instead, what we work to, what we move toward, what we begin to pray for is for God to open the doors for gospel-centered partnerships. Now, Paul's dealt with the importance of unity in this church. That's what he began and started off at the very beginning of this letter. He said, there's some of you who say, I follow Paul. There's some of you who say, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos, or or, I follow Jesus. And he pointed them to the importance of the unity amongst the body, that we are a family. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But also, the importance of the unity, not just of the local church, individual churches to have their unity, but that we as a church have that unity mindset. That we're all understand that we're working for the good of the kingdom. That, that a win for Radius is a win for Willow Ridge because it's a win for the community of, of, of God, the kingdom of God. That a win for First Prez is a win for Willow Ridge even though we're different denominations because it's a win for the kingdom of God. And that we have to have that mindset, right? In just a little while, I'll go home and I'll cut on golf. And you know what those golfers aren't doing as they line up to hit their golf ball? They're not saying, man, I hope that other guy hits it better than me. You know? There's a sense of competition that's there and that's good and that's fun. But when it comes to the church, we're all working to the same goal. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I had a, I heard a pastor say one time, he, he, and he was talking to a, a it, was, it was a large church, and, and I was there and, and listening, and, and he said this, he said, if you think it's just going to be us in heaven, heaven's going to be a major disappointment, right? To think outside of that, and that's what Paul is pointing them to. Now, as far as our local body, right, it's important that we care for, that we commit to, that we're a part of this together as an individual family, but also that we support, love, and care for, and partner with others as well. And that's our heart, and that's what we want to see to be your heart as well, that we rally for, we support to, we point people toward even other congregations because it's what God has. And I think the beauty of what God provides us in churches is the difference in churches, right? If you walk into Lexington Baptist right down the road, and you walk into Willow Ridge, and you walk into New Spring, I bet you're going to see three different things happening in front of you, but all worshiping the same Jesus, right? And that's the importance of what we begin to see and what we 
begin to understand. It's always the reminder for me that Willow Ridge Church is here because Red Bank Baptist Church believed in partnerships. The church that I pass every morning on my way here, just a few miles right down the road, believed enough in gospel partnerships that in the 1970s they said, let's plant Agape Baptist Church that would become Willow Ridge Church. And it's what we've wanted to continue on and push forward. And in that, we feel like we as a congregation, we as leaders, we as a body together have responded well with that. A few weeks or months ago when the war in Ukraine broke out, instantly we heard of brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine who were having to flee And we heard of brothers and sisters in Christ in Europe who were receiving them. And God opened up an opportunity for us through one of our church members to partner with the church in Moldova to care for them. And you guys responded to that graciously through that. Coming up in the next couple weeks, we will contribute our portion of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering as a part of being a South Carolina Baptist church on top of what we give to cooperative giving. We'll give that as well. And that 100% of all funds that will be given will be going to works being done all over North America to plant churches, to engage unreached people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when we think of unreached people groups, we often think of faraway places and people who speak different languages. But what we're finding more and more that in the United States, right in where we call home of where we believe you can see a church on every street corner, that there are unreached people groups, unengaged people groups right in the context of our home. And we've said as a denomination, that's not okay. And we're going to push forward with that to plant churches so that men, women, and children can have an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's important for us. This summer, well, not only will we do our VBS here, and yes, you will get to see a lot of people step out of their comfort zones, and I would argue that I've seen Joel Berger act before, and it is fantastic, all right? So you will want to be here for that, absolutely. But not only will we do our VBS here, who needs volunteers for for us as we reach out into our community, but the beauty of what we're doing is we won't do one VBS this year, we're actually doing two VBS this year. We'll do our VBS right here, and then we'll pack up all that we can, and we'll take it all the way to West Jordan, Utah, to do the VBS with Hope Valley Church that's, that's there, so that men and women and children can have an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when it's all said and done, it's about what we do for the kingdom, not what we do for a man, not what we do for a church, And definitely not what we do for ourselves. But it's what we do for the kingdom and what we do for Jesus. And so as Paul points them to this, it's from the very beginning, it's churches partnering together to work forward in the gospel. But also something he points them to is intentional giving. Look back at verse 2. Paul says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul gives a a, a pattern and a plan here 
so that the church at Corinth can think and can act intentionally about how they give, not just as a church, but as individual families within there. And I want to challenge you with this, that you and I as believers, that we think intentionally about what we give we think intentionally about what we provide in the offering and the tithe, that we think intentionally and that we make it a part of who we are and that we make it a part of our life. And, and we hate this word, but there's beauty in it, that it becomes part of our routine and worship of what God does to stir our hearts and affections toward him. I heard a pastor say one time that when you don't think this way about giving, what you end up doing is throwing pocket change at Jesus. Well, what do I have in the moment? Well, here, this is it, right? But we see what Paul says. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul says, I want you to be intentional about this. I want you to think about this. I want you to pray about this. I want you to be committed about this. I want this to be in line with your, with your income. I want you to understand the blessing of what God's gonna do in this. And I want it to be built into who you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's built into your worship. It's built into the very fabric of discipleship and who you are, that we think intentionally about our giving and that we go forward with that. Well, Paul continues on and he gives some more instructions, but I want you to jump down to verse 13 and 14. In a form of almost transition, Paul gives these two verses. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. I read a commentary this week that said, these two verses condense all the correction that Paul had previously given the church down into two sentences. All that Paul's worked through, Paul basically breaks down and condenses into these two verses, into these two sentences as he's walked through these major issues that they're going through. And he's walked through the unity of the division that they face. He's walked through pastoral worship and idolizing leaders in the church. He's walked through with them as they live in a culture of pagan sexuality. He walks through sexual immorality and what it creates and what it causes in the life of an individual. He walks through a sticky matter of lawsuits amongst believers in the church where one believer sues another and so the other believer sues the other believer back. He walks through God's standard and God's purpose of marriage. He walks through food and idolatry and, and, and how they're to face these and, and, and what you and I can draw from that. He walks through the concepts for them of socially, the head coverings that they face or that they have and the division that they're having to face within the church. 
He talks about the Lord's Supper with them and how they're abusing it and what a disgrace it is and how they're to use their their spiritual gifts within there. I mean, there's all of these factors and some that I've left out and, and just summarizing them to you this morning. There's all of these factors that are there and in each single one of them, Paul walks through how they're to respond through the gospel, through the leading of the Holy Spirit in love with this. But then he's gonna summarize them. And it doesn't matter if you're in Lexington or Corinth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it looks like to live your life and to pursue this. And the first thing that he says to him is be watchful, be watchful. And this means to, to, to be alert or to be ready, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I called Grayson and I was headed on the way home to get him And I said, hey, buddy, I don't have a lot of time, so be looking for me so that when I pull into the driveway, right, you can run right out and we can go. And he was like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. And so I got there and I got in the driveway, right, and there was no Grayson coming out the door, right? No Grayson. And so I go inside and he was in the living room. He's like, well, I was listening for you, right? I was listening for you. Like, well, but I need you to be looking for me. I need you to be looking for me. And when you see me, I needed you to be ready to respond. Right? That's the feeling that Paul gives here. Be watchful. Be ready. The question I have for this morning is for what? For what? What do we need to be looking for? What do we need to be ready for? Like if I called you today and said, be ready, and you said, for what? And I said, oh, you'll see, right? Like, no, 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 that's not what I want. <laughs> no, is this good? Is this bad? Like, lead me somewhere, Bo, right? Paul says, be watchful. The question is, for what? Well, Paul doesn't say here. But throughout the New Testament, there are three things consistently that the writers, including Paul, talk about in context of, of be watchful. And I think all of these are important. The first thing that we see throughout the New Testament to be watchful for, to be ready for, is is the Lord's return. Is the Lord's return. Regardless of how you think the end of times is going to play out, Jesus is coming back. And we as the church are called to be watchful and ready for that. The, the, the peace that we get when it, when, in Scripture when, when Paul writes and he says, as we wait for the returning of the Lord, that waiting is not kicked back on a hammock with our feet propped up and our eyes closed resting. That be waitful that Paul uses there for us, what, what we understand, it, it, it's an active waiting. It's an anticipation. It's, it's the picture of a guard on top of a guard tower doing a job as he watches and as he waits for the return of the Lord. I want to ask you are, you, are you, are you waiting for Jesus? Are you excited about his return? Right? I think all too often when we think of the return of Christ, it's, it's painted in a, in, in a picture of, of, of what to be scared of, but it's for us as believers, it's what to be excited for. Right? And I love to use the picture, the illustration in my mind of, of what this looks like, to think of a little kid right at the top of the stairs on Christmas morning waiting waiting, waiting. When I was little, 
my parents would, would wake us up. And then they would go downstairs to, to set up the video camera. So they could press play, so that they could capture our response. And I remember as a little kid, it felt like they were doing brain surgery down there. You know, like, y'all couldn't have done this earlier. Like, why are we just now doing this, Dad, right? Like, could you not have taken care of this, right? So they're getting the video camera set up and, and sitting there on the edge of the steps. It's like, I can't wait. I want it to happen right now. And is that how we're waiting for Jesus? Paul says, be watchful. Be ready. But then also, and, and, and Peter talks about this in First Peter, we're also to be watchful of the enemy, right? The enemy's not good. That's why he's the enemy. Christ tells us that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that we need to be on the lookout for him, right? There's things in this world, Satan in this world wants to attack and to destroy, when we are in Christ, he cannot remove us from him. He can't take that away from us. But what he can seek to destroy is your life, is your marriage, is your family, is your relationships. And at any point in time and at any moment, and when there's the smallest crack of weakness of what's there, the enemy wants to pounce on that and destroy that. And so, so, so Peter reminds us, and, and Paul in here, of be watchful of the enemy. This isn't crazy super spirituality. This is the understanding that Satan wants to destroy all that is good in your life. And be watchful. Don't be caught. And then connected with that, what we see throughout all of Scripture is be watchful of corrosive influences, right? And that Satan is subtle, and what he does is, is, is he pushes you toward your sinful bents by bringing things into your life, right? Like, let me ask you this. I heard a worship leader say this. He said, in your life, seek to pursue the things that stir your heart for Jesus. And if you find there are things in your life that do not stir your heart toward Jesus, then start to begin to figure out how you can remove them from your life. And so I just want to ask you this morning, like, in the things that influence you, there are things that are going to draw you closer. There's things that are going to bring you in. And there are things that are going to push you away, and they're going to push you toward the sinful bents of your life that Christ has saved you from. And in that, what are you pursuing? Be watchful, right? And being watchful means being prepared. We can check all of the boxes of all the things that we're supposed to do. But when it comes to being watchful, are you prepared? Do you have a saving relationship with Jesus? Do you wake up in the morning seeking to serve him? Do you understand that every day is a gift of God for you and I to worship him and serve him more? Do you have a saving relationship with Jesus? And are you growing in that relationship with Jesus? The only way that you and I fight the enemy and the influences of this world is growth and maturity in the Holy Spirit as he grows us. That's it. That's it. It's not out there in who I am and in my toughness, but it's pressing forward. But then Paul also says, not only does he say be watchful, but he says stand firm in faith. Stand firm in faith. With maturity, comes standing 
firm. This world and this life take shots at your faith and will seek to move you. And Paul says the picture that we get is to stand firm. In Ephesians 4, 14, Paul gives the illustration of what this world wants to do, what the theology and the doctrine and the teachings of this world want to do. Is, and he gives this picture is to move you away from your faith and to be like a child that is tossed to and fro in the waves, right? You think of being out there at the beach, being a little kid, right? And the storm that's gonna come the next day creates a little bit bigger wave and it's a little bit more fun, right? When we were little, we used to play the game. We'd get out there as the waves would crash on us. And the goal was to plant a foot and then not move that foot, right? And so you're pivoting all over the place, right? The waves are coming in and you're moving and you're doing all of this. But for me, I would, my foot would slide sometimes, and I would look at my cousin and say, no, nah, I didn't move. You know, I, that's it. The competitive nature coming out in me. And Paul says that when your faith isn't grounded, though, you're like that small child being tossed aside, aside, aside. And so what we have to do is as we mature, we stand firm. Until one day, you're the dad in the ocean. You're the mom in the ocean. And you've got that little child and you can pick them up, and you can hold them, and you can secure them. Why? Because of who you are in standing firm. So this next one's kind of tied to this. Paul says, act like men, be strong. Literal translation for this of what we see is Paul's talking about mature courage. This isn't a gender thing that Paul's saying. He's saying, have mature courage. Don't be like a child. Be an adult and be strong. You know, oftentimes in our mind, we confuse foolishness with courage, right? As a boy, I did a lot of foolish things that I would have told you I was being courageous, and now 42-year-old Bo looks back at 12-year-old Bo, and you're like, uh-uh, man, you were just being foolish, right? And so Paul says that in this life, as you mature, just earlier, he said, you know, when I was a child, I did things like a child would do, but now that I'm a man, that's not talking about Paul's physical growth. What Paul is talking about is his spiritual growth. And so he's been telling the church this whole time, you're gonna live in Corinth, you're going to live in a sexualized culture. You're going to be surrounded by idolatry. People are going to attack you because of your faith. It's going to be easy for you to go as the crowd goes. Act like men. Be strong. And I want to tell you what courage is. Courage is fighting for unity when everyone else wants to divide. Courage is going to another brother or sister in Christ and saying, I'm sorry. Courage is pursuing God's standard when the world tells you to pursue their standard. And if you don't, there's consequence. But I think the theme that we've been seeing week in and week out, and that we'll celebrate next Sunday even, if you were to ask me what courage in our faith looks like, it's laying down your rights for the salvation of others. 
Church, that's courage. It's what Jesus embodied on his walk to the cross, the courage of God. And it's what Paul is continually reminding the church of. Don't you understand, church, he writes? Your rights don't matter in someone else's salvation. And so lay them down. And church, I want to tell you this morning, that's courage. And then he says, in all of this, let all of this be done in love. The agape love. The selfless love that God has shown us and that we are called to share with others. That's what it means. We don't think of ourselves first. We respond to the grace of God. And last, I want to read this verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. He says, All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We're going to start a new greeting policy at Willow Ridge Church. <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? Let's talk a little bit of culture here, okay? I don't know how your family greets each other when you come home, but every family's got their way that they greet each other, right? Everybody's got that feel when you walk back into mama's house after a long time. Everybody knows that greeting when your teenagers come home and you're sitting there on the couch waiting for them to get home at curfew. Everybody knows the greeting that you're going to experience after being gone away on a work trip and you come home to your, to your spouse and to your kids who are anxiously waiting on you to return back from them, right? Everybody knows what that's like. Well, during the time of Paul, when a family member would come home, they greeted each other with a kiss. And this had carried over into the practice specifically of the church. And so I'm not saying this morning that we've got to start greeting each other with a kiss. In fact, I'd kind of frown against it if you want to kiss me this morning unless your name's Aaron, all right? But I am saying this, of what Paul's been pointing out since the very beginning. Live like family. Live like family. This church at Corinth, man, they were getting the Lord's Supper wrong. There was so much there that we look at and we're like, seriously, this is where you guys are. There was things as we read through these, this letter that we could relate to. There's things that we had to work to draw some lines to, to help us understand. But the similarities between Corinth and Willow Ridge is this. It's a group of families, plural, oftentimes from different cultures, different races, different education levels, different socioeconomic status, different ways of looking at and living life. And they're called together to live and to love as one family. And so Paul's saying, like, look, there's going to be fights there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be things that we got to work through. There's going to be other issues. But you got to live like family. And the only way, the only way 
this is how my marriage works. Is that when Aaron and I fight, when she sees one thing one way and I see something the other way, when she was raised to do it this way and I was raised to do it that way, what Satan wants to do is to create a divide between us where what we do is we respond in our differences. And what she and I have to make a choice to do every single time is to love through it. I'm gonna love you through our differences. I'm gonna love you through our disagreements. I'm gonna love you through our fights. And I'm gonna love you through whatever Satan wants to throw at us because that's when he can split us. Paul looks at the church. He says, do it all in love. Greet each other with a holy kiss because you've got to love through it. What I love about our church is we're not all alike. What I love about our church is it's okay to disagree. What I love about our church is what we're seeking toward is the unity of the gospel found in Christ Jesus. And so what does it mean to greet each other with a holy kiss? Let's live like family. With a side hug, with a fist bump, with a wave from a distance, right? Whatever that is. Because it's more than a gesture. It's a revelation of the heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you for your goodness and kindness of who you are. Lord, we thank you for this letter that you had your apostle write a church that years later when we can sit here and through reading it and through studying it, we understand more of your love for us, our love for you, and our call to go and love others. Lord, may we not let the things of this world divide us or be the standard that defines us. Lord, may we dive into your scripture of who you are, of who you've called us to be. Lord, may we be watchful in your return. May we be watchful for all Satan would seek to destroy. May we be watchful of the influences from the outside, Lord, that would move us away from who you were calling and desiring us to be. Lord, I pray for the churches in our community. Lord, we're all gonna gather next week, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and celebrate that the tomb is empty. Lord, all over, all over every church, men and women and children who have been coming faithfully will arrive ready to worship you. But there will also be, Lord, another group of people who roll out of bed, and for one reason or another, Lord, not our place to judge, 
will step back into a church for the first time in a long time. Lord, may they feel the warmth of the gospel. May their hearts be convicted. And Lord, for anyone, whether it's the first time in a long time or Lord, they're there every Sunday. Lord, if they need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time and placing their faith in him, Lord, I pray for those who are in the auditorium this morning and that if today is the day, Lord, that through your spirit you awaken their hearts to the gospel of Jesus, Lord, that it would happen, they would respond to you and profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to go into a time of response. We've got prayer encouragers on either side of our auditorium. If you came here today with a burden, with a struggle, they'd love to pray for you. If you want to talk to someone about a relationship with Jesus Christ, they would love to talk to you about that as well. We just ask that you respond to Jesus as he leads you this morning. Would you stand as we worship him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.